Well, good morning, everyone here in the house. Can I say a what, what? Can I hear a what, what? Okay, good. That's good. I need something here. Well, we're in the house. We're excited to be in the building, but we know you're out there on Facebook Live, and we're glad that you're joining us. We say happy Father's Day to all our fathers that are out there. We're so excited that you're able to celebrate today. Hopefully you'll get some special attention for a couple of hours. Get your nice dinner. Get to recline on your seat. Maybe just get your favorite what used to be a, a, one of your favorite, you know, sports shows because, or sports, you know, games because you're going to have to watch something from 2015 or even 2002 because we still haven't had baseball yet and I don't know if we're going to have baseball. But anyway, we're so glad that you guys are here. As you can tell and we've been going through for the past 15, 16 weeks, we've been dealing with what we call COVID-19. We'll never forget 2020. It will always be etched in our memory for the rest of our lives because it's one of those years we'll never forget. And with 2020, we're not only dealing with COVID for about 15, 16 weeks, but we've also been dealing with the racial unrest, the discrimination, the racial biases that exist in our nation still, the shadows that have come from years past. And now we as the church with this uncomfortable discussion around our nation and all the activity that's happening, we as the church have to make a decision. Are we going to speak up and stand for the Imagu Dei? We're going to stand for the gospel or we're going to keep our mouths shut. And I want to tell you something that having the need to speak up, we have to because the gospel is at stake. Because we cannot continue moving forward as the church if we're not going to be considering one of the people groups that God has created. Now, the beauty of when we hear, we hear the word race, we know that we're one human race. God created people groups. We know that ethos, where we get ethnicities from, from different cultures. And so we're dealing with cultures. But often what we think about when God created one race with all these different people groups and cultures, we have to know that as we're diverse, if one people group is hurting, no matter which that people group is, whichever one is hurting, we as the body of Christ need to bear our brother's burdens. In fact, if we don't, then unity can't occur. And for unity to happen in the midst of diversity, we must learn to bear our brother's and sister's burdens. But what does that mean? That means that we have to start. Let me just share an example. We have a precious family, my wife and four children. One of my, ch my children, um, unfortunately, she's had some, you know, difficulties in her life and we've had to go through times and seasons where we had to hover around her and take care of her and as we went through that we understood that all of our children's lives matter but there was a season when we had to take care of our daughter and then all her siblings came around and saying we're going to take care of her and love on her right now and that's what we need to do right now with our brothers and sisters who are hurting our black brothers and sisters so I want to encourage you it's the same thing of course all lives matter because God created all of the lives that we see, but there's a certain group that we need to talk about. So today, we're going to present to you a panel discussion, and we have our brothers and sisters who are black. They're going to share their hearts from questions that we've asked, so we as other, we call non-blacks, other people groups will learn and listen. We want to stop for just a moment and learn what do we have. We may have a bias. We may have a stereotype. We may have prejudice. We, we got asked the question. I've asked my question before the Lord. Am I a racist? 
Because by having those questions asked to the Lord, he can reveal what might be going on in my heart. And so I ask God that, and I want to encourage you to do the same. But as you watch this panel, be open. Be open to what the Lord is speaking to you about, because it could be that he might reveal something to you, and that's okay. Because then from there, he can work on you as he's working on me. So I want to encourage you as we share this panel with you, I just want to take a moment and pray and ask God to prepare our hearts as we look at this video. And I want to encourage you, don't just listen and stay with your view. Listen with the intention of saying, God, how can you change me? So let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you're about to do. Challenge our hearts. Please, Lord, not only inform us, but please transform us. Walk us through, Lord, so that when we struggle, when we see that we may have a bias, we may have stereotyping or even potentially a prejudice, that, God, you would reveal those things, that we would have the courage to, to, to face these fears and to be able to present them before you so that you can do that work in us. God, transform us so that we can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. God, thank you for this time that we can hear from our brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. Well, today we have our panelists, and I'd like for each of the panelists to introduce themselves, starting with Carl. Hi, my name is Carl Kenyon-Jewey. I'm 27 years old. I've been attending Grace since I was about five years old, and I love it here. Hello, my name is Eric, and I'm black. And I've been attending Grace now for six years, I believe, and I'm over um, 30. You are over 40. <laughs> I said I'm over 30. Over 30, over 30 covers everything. I'm 40, okay? You're not. I'm 40. No, you're 41. Oh, dang, I am 41. Hello, I'm Shaprina, and I've been attending Grace for about six years, and I will not disclose my age. Hello, my name is Irv Clark. I'm the pastor of the Grace Brethren Church of Clinton. And I'm just happy to be here. I, I want to commend Pastor Bruno for what he is uh, doing, how God is leading him here. And so I'm just glad to be a part of it. And I am uh, I'm north of 50. How's that? Panelists, thanks for introducing yourselves. So here's the first question. Although your non-black brothers and sisters are sincere, when they post on the social media in support of the cause, in your minds, in your perspectives, is it helpful or hurtful? Um, for me, it's, and I can only speak for myself, because uh, we have to understand that um, all of us that are sitting here, we don't speak for everybody. And um, so, but for me, I think it, it can be helpful um, speaking out, uh, because if it's done sincerely and with empathy, sometimes simple is best. Sometimes, you know, just saying, I care, or yes, you do matter. In, in a situation um, can be healing. It can be healing, it can be helpful so that people can um, see that there are some who care, who, who understand, well, even if you don't understand, you know, you're at least curious in a matter to say that I care enough to, to say something. But I can understand where other people come from when it's like, if you're not being sincere with your, your post, or it doesn't come off sincere, but it's kind of hard to gauge sincerity. But for me, if you do say something, it is helpful. Okay, how about you, Carl? I think that it's helpful because it makes me 
heard. I mean, you can't really gauge sincerity over the internet. That's kind of hard to gauge sincerity. But I would give you the benefit of the doubt that you would be sincere, and that's a good enough for me. I appreciate that. Thank you. How about you, Shafrina? Um, I think for me, I appreciate it, um, but I really would like it if you go a step further. If it doesn't just stop with your post. The post is the beginning. Um, there has to be conversations after, and not only con conversations with you, but conversations with your children, conversations with your family, conversations with your friends. Um, I think we need to have more education about this. We need to talk more. Um, it need, we need these open discussions. We have to do this if we want to change as a country. Otherwise, we're just going to stay the same, and that's not what we want at all. Pastor? Uh, I think it probably could be helpful uh, if you're showing empathy and you're demonstrating that you're concerned. I think that probably would be helpful. I, I am concerned about some of the things I see on social media. I am concerned that sometimes Christians don't always use discretion in how they post, and that often causes more problems. Let me add a caveat to this. What if you have someone, and obviously a non-black, who says, you know what, I really wanted to post something, but I'm afraid I might offend someone, and so therefore I don't post anything, because why would they want to hear from me? How do you feel? Do you feel that if they're silent then? They become silent from this whole cause, and then you don't hear anything at all. What does that make you feel as a black person? Give me your perspective. So I, I actually put a post out in reference to that because I felt, okay, I, I attend a predominantly white church, and so I would like to hear from my brothers and sisters in church. Okay, so how do you feel about this? Or if you see me post something that, you know, I've said that I'm concerned or whatever, you know, what is, I would like to hear from you. And so when I put out the post, I had several people inbox me and said that, you know, they wanted to say something, but they were afraid or they didn't know what to say. Let me say that most of us, I didn't know what to say or I didn't want to offend. And so to me, that was, um, it was, it was huge for both sides of us to understand, okay, I need to hear from you, and I need to understand that you want to say something, but you don't know what to say. Um, when this first, when this event first kicked off, in my fact, it wasn't even just this, this event, but the other ones that have occurred, um, we have uh, friends who we're very close with who are white, and immediately they called our phone and said, are you okay? Without, without even asking, we didn't have to reach out to them, they said, hey, I want to let you know we love you, we're here, we're praying for you. Um, is this affecting you? How are the boys doing? It was all concern, all care. And I was like, that's how it's supposed to be. And so, again, that's, it may be unfair, but that's my expectation for my church, who, where, where I attend, where I go, where I see you every Sunday, where you hugging on me and, and all this, and you saying, you my brother, you my sister. So I expect for you to check on your brother. When I hurt, you should hurt. Because when you hurt, I'm going to hurt. So Carl, I've got a quick question just to add to that. It's, I said last week in my sermon, through what John Gray said, one of prominent pastor, you know, mega church. He said, silence is agreement. Do you agree with that? I think to a certain extent, yes. But like when it comes to social media, not everybody is a poster. And not everybody's going to post. Not people, people may not feel comfortable doing that. But you can call me, you can message me, you can send me a letter in the mail, you can, you can, 
you, there's so many other ways than putting out a public announcement to ask me how I feel or how my brothers feel or how my family feels. How is, how is it affecting me? Or can I just pray for you? Or just say, I've been praying for you. You know, like that to me speaks volumes. So I think that silence in a certain way, yeah, is a grievance because there's no, there's so many ways that you can reach out to me and say, listen, I see what's going on in the, in your community and I don't stand for it. And I'm praying for you and your family and for your mental health and for your emotional health because it takes a toll when you watch these videos time and time and time again. I mean, you start to feel a little bit numb and a little bit helpless at times. So it'd be great to hear from, from other people, like feel support. So for me, I think one of the biggest issues is relationships. And when we talk about these topics, if you don't have a person of a different race that you can actually call and have a conversation with, then that's a problem. Um, we're in Waldorf, Maryland, which is a very diverse area. So you should be able to have a conversation or have a strong enough relationship with a black person that you can call and ask those questions. Ask about a post before you post it. Ask them how do they feel about this? Is this okay? Is this appropriate? What should I do? Um, I think we really have to work in relationships and actually being open to having relationships with someone of another, of another race. Panelists, I think we're off to a good start because you're sharing your perspective and that's helpful for us to hear what you're thinking through this process. So when people tend to say, you know, I, I don't see color in front of me. Uh, I'm, I'm colorblind, you know, because I see the person, I don't see the color. How do you feel when someone says that? Is that offensive to you guys? Pastor? I'd use it as an opportunity to teach, opportunity to, to let people know what they're saying. So when you look at me, you see color. You can't help but see color. Uh, that's how God created us. God created us all unique. Uh, Revelation says that at the, at the throne, there's going to be people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And the uniqueness is what makes the body of Christ different, which makes us, which makes us beautiful. And so we have to see color. And so, but if you're saying to me that when I look at you, I see color, but I'm able to look beyond the color and get to know who you are, then I understand what you mean by color blindness. But I would just encourage you that may not be the term that you want to use because we all are unique. Uh, Romans, Romans tells us this, that we, to, we are to, to accept one another in the body of Christ as God has accepted us. And I think what that means is, acceptance means this, it means to pull us, pull one another into our bosom, that I'm to pull you into my bosom as God has pulled us into his bosom. We've been pulled into the beloved. And so we need to understand that God wants us to accept each other just the way we are and value our differences, value how we are, and understand that I'm to love you and accept you the way God has created you to be. The other danger, I think, is when we recognize the differences that we don't stereotype everybody to those differences. So we don't say because a person belongs to this group, they think like this, they act like this, they talk like this, because even all of us are different, so we need to understand and be careful not to stereotype each other. And we all do that. I would have to agree with uh, Pastor Irv and what he said. The, the goal is to embrace the difference. Um, that's, that's it in a nutshell. So if you see me, you see my culture, you see uh, who I am, and then you learn to embrace it. It's not a thing of 
if we say, you know, I'm colorblind, then we're seeing everybody the same, and it's, that's just not realistic. The problem that I have with colorblindness is you don't get to see the true beauty in me. If you say that you don't see color, then you don't get to see my struggles. You don't get to see my pain. You don't get to see who I really am. So I think we have to always kind of embrace those changes and those differences between each other. Um, without that, you don't really see the real person. So when we see this discussion about Black Lives Matter, immediately we see people going to All Lives Matter. What do you feel whenever you're, get, you're dealing with this discussion and someone says, well, all lives matter? How do you feel about that? Pastor, start, I'm going to start with you. Again, I try not to get offended. I try to use opportunities to help people. because They don't think they always know what they're saying. And so what you're going to understand is in this country, white life and white lives are valued. And from the conception of this country, they said uh, in the Declaration of Independence that all, all men are, cre are created equal. That didn't include the Negro. That didn't include uh, the African American. We were considered uh, three-fifths three of a person. Mm -hmm. And so all those things didn't include. So the, the idea is, in this country, we're not saying that other, other people's lives don't, are not, don't matter or that there's no value. What we're saying is we want to let this society know that black lives also have value. They're not, they're not valued over anybody else, they're not valued under anybody else, but they also have value. God does not show any partiality, the Bible tells us. There's no partiality with God. And so that's the idea. Now, we're talking about the term Black Lives Matter, uh, which I agree, we're not talking about the organization. So, and that's a whole different subject, I'm not even get there, but I, I have no problem with the term. Yes, Black Lives the phrase, Matter. yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Pastor, appreciate that. Carl. I would have to say, when I hear All Lives Matter after someone says Black Lives Matter, I'm immediately offended. And I may not try to be offended, but I'm offended. Mm -hmm. Because I just feel like, how dare you make this about you? Ooh. Because you have to be, like, completely insane not to believe that all lives matter. Like, that's not up for debate. We get that. We understand that. That's not, you know what I mean? There's, that's a no-brainer. But what we're saying is, is our lives are not valued at the same place that your lives are valued at in society. And that's an issue for us. We want you to hear that. We want you to understand that we're made to feel less than a lot of the times. And it's not fair. It doesn't feel good ever. You know what I mean? And I just feel like when people say that, they're kind of dismissing what we're trying to say. And they're not hearing us at all. It's like, okay, but. And there is no but to that at all. Like, okay, but. No, no. Black Lives Matter, period. There's no discussion. And I, was, I, see, I saw this. Um, sermon from a pastor, it's like a little snippet, and he was saying that he agreed, he was like, he agreed with the Black Lives Matter, and there were some people in his congregation who didn't agree with it, and he was glad that they didn't because he wanted to ask them why, and um, they said, well, Black Lives Matter, but he said, no, that's it, that's the end, they matter, there's no but to it, there's, there's nothing else after that. And he said, that's like if, when Jesus was doing the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, blessed are the poor. And then those people who say all lives matter, like, no, Jesus, blessed are all people. 
But we get that. We get that all, you know, blessed are all people. But we're talking about these one particular group of people. And since when does focusing on one group disparage another group? It doesn't. We don't have a problem with white people. And when they have their issues, I'll be there to support them. But right now, we're talking about this and this issue and where we have a problem. Um, for me, it is offensive. It's, um, it's disrespectful um, because it's deflective. You know, I'm, I'm bringing to attention an issue, and now you're deflecting my issue, which, which to me says you're not even listening to what I'm saying. Um, it's the sentiment of Black Lives Matter. Again, we're not talking political, but just the phrase. When you take the phrase itself, it's as simple as saying, you do, or absolutely. Well, yes, Black Lives Matter. So to throw the All Lives Matter, it's not like you, you, you don't go to a breast cancer rally and say, well, all cancers matter. You know, we, people don't do that. No, we're focusing on breast cancer at that time. That's an issue. And so that's the same way. So if I say Black Lives Matter, is to, I'm, I'm saying my life matter. My wife likes matter. The allies matter. My, my kids like matter. And I want you to pay attention because there, evidently there's an issue, there's a struggle, or there is a feeling of less than that I have. So again, it's my perspective. It's my, I'm not talking about, I know, black lives, this, 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 the phrase black lives matter is black lives matter too, all right? Black lives also matter. You know, we can put whatever you want in it, but it's, it should be already implied into that phrase. So again, it's a deflection, you're not hearing, you're not, it makes me feel like you don't care. Um, you, you know, you can throw whatever other life in there, but we're talking about this. We're talking about our lives right now that we feel are at risk. Right? And so that's, that's how I feel. So for me, I am offended. Anytime you say all lives matter after I put out Black Lives Matter. And a lot of it's because I feel like you're dismissing me. You're dismissing my struggle. You're dismissing what's really happening in society right now. You're dismissing the tears that I've cried at night thinking about the conversation that I have to have with my boys the next day. You're dismissing the stress that I have when I'm calling my husband on the phone and I can't get him and he's out driving around. You, you're dismissing all that. You don't understand the stress that comes with being a black person in the United States right now and that's hurtful. You're, you're like, it's like you're throwing away all the things that have happened, the videos that have been seen, the, the Facebook Live videos, it's like you're taking all of that and you're just completely throwing it out as if it's not real and we don't have anything to be worried about. When the reality is we do, it is a struggle and it is an issue. My tears are real, my problems are real. Those conversations with my boys are real. I have to have conversations with them about how they react when an officer pulls them over. And I shouldn't in 2020. I shouldn't have to have these conversations, but I do. So when you tell me all lives matter, you're just completely throwing out the, my reality, what's happening every day, and you don't care. And I need you to care, because if you don't care, then there's, we're not gonna change. So panelists, here's, um, we're gonna go a little bit deeper in this discussion. Explain microaggression and give general examples. It is defined as everyday, subtle, 
intentional and oftentimes unintentional interactions or behaviors that communicate some sort of bias toward historically um, marginalized groups. And so that's the definition of that. So um, have, have we experienced, have I experienced it? I, I, you, you don't have enough time on this panel to talk about the time I experienced uh, that kind of thing. Uh, being pulled over by the police, uh, which, which is defined as uh, a D D DWB, driving while black, uh, for no reason. So I think many of us have probably uh, experienced that kind of thing and to have to make sure you handle yourself carefully and you answer correctly almost what, what you were saying about your kids. You have, to teach your, you have to teach your sons especially, what do you do when this happens? What don't you do to stay out of trouble? So those are things that, that oftentimes African Americans face on a daily basis. Uh, and so that's one of those things uh, as far as experiences. I would also define microaggression as being any kind of term or words or phrases that a person uses based on preconceived bias or ignorance or just their, just their prejudice that they've grown up with. And they may not even realize that they have those, but it's there. And they may not even realize that they're offending someone because they've always thought like that and their parents thought like that and their friends think like that and they've always said those things and no one ever said anything. And I feel like oftentimes, sometimes we don't say anything because we're just tired. Like, you don't want to even begin the conversation, so you just keep it moving. Um, yeah, so microaggression, as Pastor Herb said, um, I've experienced it countless times. You know, phrases like, um, you talk, you talk white, right? And uh, also things like, um, you know, how did you end up with that? You know, this, you have a car or something, how did you end up with that? You know, like, <laughs> What kind of job you have? Do you have? Yeah. And like, what? You know, again, we're living in a society where we're we're not as um, it's not as racist as it was back in the '50s, '60s, and '70s. But there's still that microaggression that has creeped from generation, um, as Carl said, it's passed down from you know, grandparents who were around during that time, and you might not even realize it. Even to come to, oh, can I touch your hair? <laughs> I don't walk around asking white people, can I touch your hair? You know, no, that's that's microaggression. You know, it's little things like that that um, that, that are very offensive. And, um, and and again, that goes with Carl said. Sometimes you don't even say anything. You know, or you, or you laugh it off to not escalate. Because again, now you don't want to seem like you had an angry black dude or an angry black woman because mm -hmm. I've said something, you know, that said something to you because you offended me. So it's, it's you know, you gotta, you gotta be uh, real cautious on how you even uh, object to it. Do you think it would be helpful to help non-blacks to learn from that situation, saying, hey, I'm not sure if you realize this, but what you just said, can I just help you out here? What you just said actually offended me. I didn't mean to, but let me explain why. I have, I've had taken moments, but then sometimes if it continues, if this is like the 15th time that it happened this week, I'm not going, it's not my job to keep going to every non-black sure. person to correct them. But for those who are close to me, um, those who I build relationships with, I'll say, hey, you know, you know that ain't cool, bro. Let me tell you what you're doing, oh, sister ain't right. And so, you know, you break it down that way. But 
add to that? I was gonna agree with him and saying it's like, you're out and about trying to live your life and you don't wanna take time out of your day to, ex to explain prejudice, bias, and racism to a stranger. And you just wanna just do what you had to do that day, you know what I mean? So sometimes it's like, yeah, like I had approached the girls at the Bible study after I'd seen many posts on Facebook and I had said, if you guys wanna talk about anything, this is a, a space like, I won't judge you. You can ask me whatever question you wanna ask me. You can say whatever it is that is on your heart because you may feel like you can't say it on social media. This is a safe place. That I will do for my friends, but random people, I just, I just don't have it. <laughs> I think for me, the hard part is with the microaggression is basically trying to, I guess, my blackness. Because I am a lighter, black woman, I'm constantly asked, well, which parent is white? And that's kind of offensive in some ways because I'm like, because I'm a lighter-skinned black woman, why do one of my parents have to be white? Or, um, your hair is so long, so which parent is white? So, as a black woman, I have to have a white parent in order for me to have long hair. So, those things to become offensive and it's like, okay, here we go with the hard conversation. And it's like, I now have to kind of talk about my blackness. And it's, it's annoying. It's annoying and it's frustrating. Or the statement of, you're pretty for a black girl. What does that mean? What does that mean? Like, I, I don't, I, I, it's offensive. You look pretty though. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't I just be a pretty woman? Why do I have to be pretty? And then you want to add, for a black girl. Like, what, I, don't, I don't get it. And it's like, when you say that to me, you're basically telling me in your head, you've now said all oh, black women are ugly. That's what, you, that's, what you, that's, that's what you put in your head. So now you see me and now, oh, you're pretty for a black woman. So the rest of them aren't. And I mean, so now I get to see another side and it becomes offensive because I'm like, you already had this negative, you already had this negative opinion about my race and that's, that's an issue. We shouldn't, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't put everybody in a box. And it's like, we've been put in a negative box. And it, it's hard, like why, why am I, why am I instantly put in that box just based off the color of my skin? And thank you guys for sharing that. Uh, and I go back to in the body of Christ, and this is, where, this is where it takes God's love and God's patience. In the body of Christ, even though it may get tiring working at this, because we're called to unity, we have to continue working. Whether it's whether something is said intentionally or whether it's unintentionally, we have to be able to demonstrate love. And that's, that's what Ephesians says, we're to speak the truth in love. And so I've got to take the time to say, let me speak the truth to you in a loving way so that you will understand what, what's happening. And I, I think a lot of this too is some of this can be changed in our living rooms. And what I mean by that is this. There's a lot of conversation, a lot of this, this uh, microaggression doesn't even happen with us. It happens in living rooms with a bunch of white people and in living rooms with a bunch of black people that comments are made that we just laugh off, we just shrug off. And I think those are the times where we need to say, you know, what you just said is not correct. What you just said is not right, it's not loving, it's not biblical, and we need to begin confronting some of these intentional and unintentional 
biases, we need to be have, have the guts to love one another enough to confront and say, no, that's that's not true about that brother. That brother is not that way. I'm, I'm not going to allow you to stereotype him in that way. And I think you just hit the nail on the head, um, the perspective of a believer. Oftentimes I tell people, I am a Christian. I'm a follow of Christ first. I so happen to be a black man. Yes. All right, because I know that I am an alien to this world. Yes. This is not my home. And so, um, so the grace and mercy that I'm extending is because of Christ. I, I can get in my flesh and start looking at things from, you know, from that perspective. But oftentimes I have to remind myself as a believer that I have to extend grace. I have to look at, just look at you know, this whole situation, everything, race, relation, and all that. Yeah, it's not a whole thing of, you know, black people don't say all white people are racist. That's, that's false, a false narrative that we need to do away with. And again, even as I said earlier, in this day and age, this is probably the least um, racial time in the history that we've had. Um, but it's still an issue, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's that, that's a problem because it's sin. Yes, we gotta remember that it was only in 1954 that segregation had ended, which means my grandmother and my mother were alive during that time period, so they may have experienced some of that. So that has filtered over to the next generation. So. For the church, for us as believers, we have to rise up against that and not be like the world. We cannot have the same conversation that the world's having. And that's what I'm saying for, for my church, for, for all fellow believers in Christ, we have to stand up against sin and, 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 this, and, and racism and, and all this negative stereotype and microaggression of sin. We won't get it right every time, but we have to have the attitude of, I'm not going to look like the world and behave like the world. Mr. Prina, right? Yeah. Thank you. I think she said something earlier that was so important. And that is relationships. You, you, you just can't have these you can't have these kind of conversations if you don't know people. But when you when you build relationships, then we can sit down and have these common kind of conversations. And, and, and these conversations have to be honest. We've got to be able to share both honestly. Uh, we have to be empathetic I've got to be able to understand what you're feeling. Not understand, but I can sympathize and to a place of compassion. Not just feel it, but compassion. Uh, they have to be accepted. So when you and I have this conversation, Pastor Bruno, um, I know that in the conversation we may not agree, but you know I'm going to still accept you as a brother. Amen. And that's not going to change. It has to be respect. I'm going to respect you. I'm, I'm going to respect you. Even when we not agree, I'm going to respect you, and I'm not going to disrespect you or say anything disrespectful about you. And so that's that's a place where this is comfortable, where it's safe. And I think sometimes the play, the, 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 the venue is not safe, so people don't have these conversations. And we need to develop relationships where it's safe. And I think the ultimate thing is it should never, any issue that we deal with, whether personal or socially, never becomes more important than the cause of Christ. Amen. Christ for us has to be the most important thing. And so if we can agree that we were to talk about this, but Christ has to be the most important thing. Christ is Amen. So today we gave you guys an opportunity to get an understanding and perspective from a black brother and sister. Um, we had said earlier, too, about the importance of stopping at this moment, reflection, looking at oneself, and then listening. So today, we took a time to listen. 
and we're going to continue to listen because it's not going to happen in just one day. It takes time. But by listening, we hope to understand, and I want to encourage you to continue to do so. Take the opportunity each week, and I would even encourage you each day to try to listen and learn. You may not have to agree with everything that's being stated, but at least take a moment and listen so that you can understand. This is part of why we're doing what we're doing right now. In fact, we're going to continue this. This is not going to stop. This will be our ministry. <laughs> I can assure you that. We're going to continue because reconciliation is ministry. You can't have the gospel unless you do this. We can't sing songs and praise God and pretend like we're not loving our brothers and sisters well. we got to do that for all people groups. So when our peoples are hurting, then we've got to come along around them and bear their burdens. You know, I want to share uh, someone who sent me an email uh, the other day, and I was moved by this because um, it's an older person in our church, but this person wanted to share what, what particularly this person was thinking. So this person said, hi, Pastor Bruno, I wanted to tell you that your sermon series about race has been, to me, very thought-provoking. It has caused me to reflect on many of my past experiences and to recognize sinful attitudes and beliefs in myself. When I first heard the title of the sermon series, I thought, oh no, why must we get into that at church? Exclamation point. I was wrong in thinking that way. Last night, my hubby and I watched an old episode of Little House on the Prairie called Dark Sage very relevant to the issue of racial discrimination. I think you would like it. But what she didn't know is that I'm an avid fan of Little House in the Prairie. We watch it every day. So I know all the episodes. I've watched them like 100,000 times. But here's the thing, though. She's right. That was one episode that did touch on racial discrimination because it was obviously happening in the 1800s. So how do we move forward? How do we progress forward? We take these opportunities. We listen. We hope to learn. And then act. We can't act. We can't even really reconcile until we come to that place of listening. We can reconcile in Jesus. We can say we're reconciled in Jesus, but we have a problem in the church. That's why now the church is speaking up because they haven't spoken up in years. That's why Dr. Tony Evans said the church started this. The church hasn't finished it yet. they got to get ahead of it. We've got to be the headlight moving forward. So how do we do that? We stop. We listen. We learn. And then we act. So I want to encourage you this week. We are having a prayer time on Thursday evening in this building down in the Lerman Commons. I can't encourage you enough to come out. We are not going to tackle this problem without prayer. We're not going to get to reconciliation without prayer. So I can't encourage you enough. Please make it to our prayer time at 7 o'clock downstairs in the Learning Commons. I can't encourage you enough to come out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for our panelists. Thank you for allowing them to take the opportunity, their time, their sacrificing of their time to serve you by sharing their hearts, their perspectives of what it's like to be a black brother and sister in our society. We as the church want to take this opportunity and be the headlight Because, Lord, if we don't, we can't be the church. Lord, there are people 
in society right now that need to see the love of Jesus Christ, we need to show that by example. Oh, God, in Jesus' name, please help the church to get this so that we can be a light to our brothers and sisters, to all people groups, but especially to the group right now that's hurting really bad. And by doing so, then we can be the church. In recent months, Lord, we were struggling by saying, are you going to church? Are you going to church? When we couldn't go to the building. But I think we have to ask the question, are you being the church? Are you being the church? Are you being the church? It's time to be the church. It's time to make a difference. It's time to love those whom you've created, Lord, equally. The Amagu Day. Oh, God, help us change our perspectives. Help us to love as you've taught us to love through the power of the Holy Spirit. And help us, Lord, to listen with the intention to understand and hopefully learn and then act. God, don't let this opportunity pass without changing the hearts here at Grace Church Waldorf. God, we just pray that more people will be the church as we move forward. We love you, God, and we anticipate what you're going to do in this church and all of our brothers and sisters all around the world to change our hearts towards being the church in our society, in our nation, in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. If you are in the back, you can just head out and you can be ready to go. God bless you guys. We'll see you soon on Facebook Live next week.